I always find those people who go against the grain, who challenge societal norms, who are transformative, just incredibly interesting people. Sometimes you come across these people who you may have heard about, negative things, but then you hear some actually positive characteristics or experiences or things that they would have done that just makes things incredibly fascinating. And so today I, we talk about one of those people. And so I hope you learn something interesting as well. Enjoy the episode. Episode 10, guys. Welcome back to Two Nobodies. I'm Rupesh Patel, one of the nobodies, or as Kyle Lux call me, the foremost. Foremost nobody! <laughs> and there's Kyle. Kyle, buddy, how are you doing this week? Yeah, good. I'm uh, sorry to just railroad your, your introduction <laughs> there. We could edit that out. And, um, yeah, not- we never edit anything out. You know how many times we've said edit out and then we just, now we've just are just comfortable with it yeah yeah that's right anyways probably uh poor form on my part to just yell over top of you within the first <laughs> five seconds of the episode so my apologies but i am well no. buddy. how are you good good i'm glad we made it to episode 10 yeah. I think, what did we commit to 30 so that'd be 30 weeks maybe yeah yeah something like that um it, that, that number seems to change like it, at uh, first we're like yeah like let's try 10 and just see how it goes and like okay well 20 makes sense and then you know probably more recently we said okay well let's just do 30 i feel like honestly it's i thought that we would sort of hit a groove after two episodes or something but um i think we're still kind of hitting that groove and we're still improving each episode so i think it would be foolish to stop at 10 and even 20 so i think 30 makes sense and hey maybe it'll be 40 maybe it'll be 5,000. maybe i was telling michelle that we could have like zero listeners and just continue to talk every week for till we're like 90 and then at some point, we got to catch some traction where somebody will say, hey, the longest running podcast isn't Joe Rogan. It's these two nobodies. These couple and of idiots. That's when, that's when we hit our, our, that's when we get famous. Maybe it'll be like that, um, like Herman Melville, who uh, wrote um, Moby Dick, and he, but he died thinking that he was a failure. And now he's recognized as someone who wrote one of the best books ever. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Let's aspire to something, I guess. Yeah, that's right. I, I apologize if you can hear my kid crying in the background. Um, probably not, not the best form to have a podcast that is in the sphere of parenting with having a child crying in the background. But uh, it just not makes to it worry. more real, man. We just talked about double trouble. You know, you're going to be uh, experiencing two of these in a few more weeks. We aren't um, ignoring him or neglecting him. It's all <laughs> part of a of a larger plan. Okay, so everybody just relax. There's there there is there is somebody looking after Lowell, so I think sounds like Lowell's in good company. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so this week I wanted to talk about uh, um, somebody I found surprisingly interesting. So I'll, I we'll talk about that in a second. But I do want to talk about um, you know our conversations many times are focused on fatherhood, and if you're Canadian, and especially if you're a Canadian who plays, watches, or knows anything about hockey, you know Walter Gretzky. So Walter Gretzky is the father of Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player, arguably. I don't think there is an argument. In my view, he's the greatest of all time. I think in many other sports, you can question that. But when you think about hockey, Gretzky comes out on top pretty yeah, much all the time. Yeah, I don't time. know that it's even debatable. I mean, you look at the number. No. Like, some of his records are insane. Like, he scored 50 goals in 34 30, games one year, I, I think, or... 39, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, sorry, yeah. So, I mean, just... um, I, I don't know. And, like, even his, his points per game and his points records and all this stuff, I mean, they're just never going to be broken. And it was a different era when he played. I mean, if Connor McDavid sure. you know, played in the area of Gretzky, he'd probably put up crazy numbers. But different time... Um, arguably the greatest hockey player. Well, he is the, the greatest hockey player of all time. And Walter Gretzky has to be the greatest hockey dad of all time. Well, Michelle and I were talking, we were, we were like, because growing, she grew up in Paris, Ontario, which is, and there is a Paris, Ontario for people who didn't know that. Um, in The Paris of the Prairies? 
Uh, not quite. I, I guess that's not the no, prairies. No, not at all. <laughs> that's Sorry. okay. Just it, just interrupting a tennis episode with just bad information. Sorry. Uh, so they're they're in southern Ontario, southwestern Ontario. There's uh, this tri city area with it, which is Kitchener Water and Kitchener Waterloo in in Cambridge. But there's also um, this this emerging vibrant city that's coming up, which is Paris, Ontario. Um, Pre World War II, they kind of had Paris. London, and then Kitchener used to be Berlin, so they used to have the, those cities there. So Michelle grew up in Paris, Ontario, but Paris, Ontario is actually very close to Brantford, which is where Wayne Gretzky was born, and that's where Walter Gretzky spent his life. And so I know the city of Bramp- uh, Brantford is is definitely mourning his loss, but Walter Gretzky is kind of like, he's Canada's dad. He's not only a hockey dad, he's Canada's dad. He was very much known to uh, support minor hockey leagues. Michelle said that you could often see him in the Brantford Arena uh, watching minor hockey games. He was always there for Wayne Gretzky. He was just, everyone knew who he was. And so he passed away the other day at the age of 82, which is incredibly sad. And I think, you know, as as a dad now and to see how much he supported Wayne Gretzky and all his children and and just how he carried himself, you know, you kind of aspire to want to embody a lot of the characteristics of him. So I just want to sort of pay a little bit of homage to him before we kind of get into our episode. Well said. So for today, I, I did want to talk about somebody who I found surprisingly interesting. I was I I was going through Amazon Prime Video and there was this docu series, and it was called it was about Playboy. And I had put it on my list a long time ago and finally had a chance to watch it and actually still finishing up right now. And it really talks about Playboy and, and Hugh Hefner. And so I want to talk about Hugh Hefner. He was, he's somebody who I just always had this view of, of just, okay, he, all he cares about is sex and nude women and just living this you know, playboy lifestyle, which is really what he wanted, but just essentially not a, not necessarily a good view of him at all. And this docu-series, Kyle, really kind of changed my view of him, or I, at least I learned a ton about him, which was very, very interesting. And he was somebody who I, who, who kind of embodied, well, not kind of, he did embody this characteristics that I always find very appealing in people, which is that he went against the grain in everything he did. Even if it meant that it, it caused controversy and it didn't agree with people, he went against the grain. And I think in today's society, we almost need more of that, I find. I think there's a lot of people who are just who are just going with it and and not challenging things and not challenging assumptions and challenging ideas. And and he did that for many many years. And and whether you like him or don't like him at all, there's some things that I, I definitely wanted to talk about that I was very surprised with, um, that I found surprisingly interesting. And and Kyle and I talked about like, oh, do we really want to talk about Hugh Hefner? And and I think it's it's just a it's just again whether you like him or or not, there were some interesting things that happened. I think that's a con- I think you and I wanted to continue looking for people who we just like, hey, might not be might not be somebody that you really idolize, but hey, there's some there's some surprising characteristics here. And I think that also goes back to sort of what you and I why you and I started two nobodies, which was when people say, hey, why would you call it two nobodies? It's because we think of ourselves as like, okay, who are we to judge anybody, right? And and you know what? You can find good in most people. And Hugh Hefner, there was a lot of good things that he did from not only when I watched this docuseries, but when even when I read up on him afterwards to kind of confirm some things. There were a lot of great things that he did, um, but there were also a lot of not so good things that we did. And, 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 and we'll discuss those things as well. Interesting. I always seem to gravitate or hold people in higher regard who go against social norms or go against what is expected of them um, and sort of pursue their own values in their own way, even if others maybe don't see that as being a pursuit. And so I'm I'm actually really interested in this conversation. I don't really know anything about Hugh Hefner other than what the average Joe knows. Um, so I'm interested to, to, to see where this goes and to, to um, learn a few things about Hugh on the way here. 
What was your, did you ever have any impression about Hugh Hefner at all? Naked ladies. That was yeah. it. I mean, just like growing yeah. up, right? I mean, that's uh, probably what, what most people, um, what kind of pops in their mind. You know, for me, it's uh, uh, naked ladies. And then also the image of Hugh in like a silk uh, totally, house coat. Totally, pipe. Yeah. yeah, pipe and like an expensive pair of pajamas and, and slippers on. And um, and that was really all I knew about him. I, I, I also heard that, because now Playboy's not doing so great, you know, sort of no. given... Um, how things have transitioned away from print media. And I, the, the, the last thing I think I heard about Hugh Hefner was that the, they were trying to sell the Playboy mansion because things weren't going so hot for Playboy. And in, as part of the sale agreement, whoever bought the, uh, the mansion had to let Hugh live there basically till he's dead. Isn't that something? <laughs> um, and I could be wrong in that, but I'm pretty sure that that, you know, that, that's, uh, that was something that I read a couple of years ago. So that was sort of the last I heard of him, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Uh, he was definitely somebody who lived a lavish lifestyle and, and wanted it all. And, and the Playboy mansion in California had a lot of that. Now, the interesting thing is I actually didn't know. I always thought that there was just one Playboy mansion. There was two, so the first one was actually in Chicago. So he was he was um, he started Playboy in Chicago, and then eventually moved to moved the mansion and moved his whole um, his whole enterprise to California. So that was I didn't know that, that was yeah. So there was this whole piece, and actually the majority of his time, I uh, I shouldn't say majority, but a good chunk of the first twenty or so years were were in Chicago, and that's where he made the brand and made his name. So. Yeah. I didn't know that. So what made you want to watch this? So, I mean, you know, for me, if I'm scrolling through Netflix or whatever it is and I see a documentary about somebody who I generally haven't aligned with or generally haven't found to be interesting or at least any more interesting than any other public figure, what made you stop and then want to watch Well, I mean, so it was on Amazon and I was like, hey, Amazon did a docuseries on Playboy. That's interesting. Because I was like, there, there's got to be some seriousness to this. And so then I watched the trailer and then it really talked about Hugh Hefner. And I was just, again, didn't know anything about him. I was like, and then when I saw the trailer and they really they really started showcasing him in a, in a light that I had no, no idea about, I was, I was like, okay, I got to watch this at some point. And Michelle's joined me in this and I was like, oh, I'm not sure she's going to want to watch this. But she's actually been really fascinated by his story. And they really not only do a great job at, at talking about Hugh Hefner and, and, and Playboy and how that kind of came up, but they do a great job at sort of documenting sort of what the 50s were like, what the 60s were like, what the 70s were like. And how uh, Hugh Hefner and Playboy kind of evolved during those times, and what they did. So, so it's 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 been fascinating to watch. I'd encourage anyone anyone to watch it. Certainly, it, it's eighteen plus, so you don't want your kids around or anything like that. But uh, but it's it, it's yeah. been it's been really interesting. So so I, I do want to start yeah. off on one foot, which is sort of the way they sort of the way they start off this this docu series, which was. He re- he started to challenge the traditional norms of what it means to be a man. So we talked about in our masculinity episode these traditional qualities. So so you know we talked about strength and and having to be strong and having to stoic um, and assertive stoic and and you got to like guns and hunting and all this kind of stuff. And so at the time in the in the fifties he started Playboy. I want to say fifty two, fifty three, somewhere around there. At the time, there were the magazines available were focused on those things. They were focused on fishing and hunting, and and essentially like what we think of as maybe the the the, the men who live in like the rural societies of today. Perhaps I mean, obviously, there's there's guys in the city who are doing those things, but let's just put it in, let's just categorize that for now. And so he didn't connect to that. He didn't he didn't he didn't relate to that. All. He's like that's that's not me. Does that make me less of a man? The magazine he loved growing up was Esquire. Hmm. Esquire still, I believe they're still around, but that, and I don't know if they have this still, but one of the things that he loved about Esquire was the pinup girls. And so growing up in high school, he always took away the pinup girls and he put them on the, on this wall and, and so on. And so he decided that he, like he wanted to work for Esquire. Now Esquire, when he joined it, I guess it kind of lost some of the some of the appeal that he had towards it. They kind of changed. They got a little bit more conservative and he felt like it was the worst job ever. 
right? So he 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 first was super excited that it was his dream as a copywriter to work at Esquire, but it quickly turned out to a, into a role that he just demised. And so he was just like, I'm going to start my own magazine, just like that. Like he's going to start my own magazine, but I'm going to make it for me, right? So he literally wrote out this magazine and. And then he talked to his, his his close friend to just pitch the idea to see what he what he thought, and he's like, "I'm gonna have a nude a nude centerfold." And and his friend was like, "I think this is a great idea, <laughs> right?" I mean, and 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 at that time in the fifties, the the way they documented sort of how things were was sex was very much taboo at that time. You would see in movies even that couples, married couples. The way they depicted them, like if there were bed scenes, was that they were sleeping in separate beds. They didn't even have them in the, sleeping in the same bed. That's sort of what it was. What it was like. And here he comes, and he just wants to put, um, he wants to put a nude model and and nude pictures into this magazine. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, Playboy didn't. It wasn't just only about the nude pictures. There were a lot of articles in there. So he wanted to he wanted to create a. a, a he his angle for for what he thought was also mask what was masculine was focused on this lifestyle around the urban man the man who wants to go out for drinks the man who wants to hold parties the man who wants to um, dr- drive a nice car and have nice furniture and that sort of thing and so his articles you know revolved around this completely different. Um, uh, definition of what it means to be a man. So he started, I don't know if he was the first person to challenge that, but certainly to mainstream that, it sounded like he was, he played a pivotal role in, in sort of redefining what it means to be, a, what it means to be a man. So I thought that that was interesting just because we had, we had, we had talked about that before. And so as he, as he first started make up, coming up with that magazine, it was kind of interesting because he was trying to find the right woman to to be the centerfold and in the docuseries he's kind of going through all these pictures he's like not the right one not the right one not the right one do you know who the 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 first centerfold was i i don't but if i was to hazard a guess um it'd be somebody who probably ended up famous and the only there are two people that i know from that era who were famous and one is aubrey hepburn and the other one is marilyn monroe so i would assume it's it's one of those two yeah so 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 Marilyn Monroe is sort of she. I guess she wasn't well known. People kind of knew her. And interestingly, the the way pictures were done at that time was that. So I guess Marilyn Monroe had done a nude photo. This this calendar company kind of owned the rights to that photo, and they would rent whatever photos they had on the models who posed for these calendars. They would rent them out to magazines and whoever wanted to publish these things. Mm. So, so Hugh found out that the company who owned the rights to this photo of Marilyn Monroe was actually in Chicago. So he was super excited about that. And he said that he had, he had about $1,000 left in his budget. Now that's a lot of money if you think about it compared to now, like, I don't know, maybe that's like what, $30,000, $40,000, he was probably more. And so, so he had a thousand dollars to go to this distribution company and the guy's like, oh, that's that's a photo that people come in to just, even if they want to look at, like, I got to charge them a lot of money. He's like, I give it to you for $600, right? And in the docuseries, they kind of have him turn around. He has a smile. And he, so he's like, he takes it and he's just like, so happy. He's like, and, and, his, and his staff are like, hey, Hugh, what about this girl? What about this girl? And he's like, this is the one. And so <laughs> then he shows his picture of Marilyn Monroe. And so the first issue is with Marilyn. And that that issue, I think they published seventy thousand um, sold out, and then it got people it got people talking, got people talking. The problem was then the second issue, Marilyn was like Marilyn Rowe was setting a sort of a really high bar for who who the next person would be, and so then they switched it to like having like the girl next door kind of look. And so then that that kind of created a, a bigger peel and actually sold more magazines. So that's sort of how like the you, you know that that was sort of how they got started. And then and then but people re- were really interested also in these articles. Like these articles were really starting to challenge the times as well. And some of these articles, for example, 
he took stances on, and, and I'm talking about, I guess, the course of, of sort of Playboy magazine, but like he was very much about free speech. He really, like the first, the first amendment in the United States on free speech, he was very much about that. He took stances on civil rights, the Vietnam War, um, LGBTQ uh, rights. Um, he had Playboy interviews with all kinds of prominent figures. And, and we can talk about some of those details because I think there's some people that's really interesting. But Man, that'd be like, that'd be way ahead of their time, right? Like to actually take a stance on those issues in, in a public forum. For sure. Like there, another example is in 1955, there was this guy named Charles Beaumont and he he wrote this short story, which was very, very criticized at the time, called The Crooked Man. And so it depicted a dystopian future where homosexuality was the norm and heterosexuality was outlawed. And that angry anti-straight mobs would march through the streets chanting, make our cities clean again. Like really, really strong stuff, right? And so all no one wanted to run this publication of the short story. and But Beaumont found a fan in, in Hefner. And he agreed to run it in Playboy magazine. This is 1955. Okay. And so all these letters poured into Playboy, wow. outrage wow. Um, of people saying like, you know, you, you, you can't be um, publishing stuff like this. And so he responded to all the backlash and, and he was very defiant whenever people really, really disagreed with him. And being the editor and being so meticulous about the magazine and making sure that all the details were good, he was very, very careful about what he published. And so, but when he would respond to these things, he would often be very defiant because he really believed in, in sort of what the Playboy lifestyle was about, but also what the magazine was about and his views. And so he said, he said, if it was wrong to persecute heterosexuals in a homosexual society, then the reverse was wrong too. Wow. You coming in hot. So step one to have a great magazine is get one of the most beautiful women of all time uh to be naked in it and two is to t is to make sure that in your magazine you have a couple hot takes uh that in 50 years time will make you look like a genius i guess so right that's it <laughs> i guess so i mean all right so i, I just... want to say on the record here that i am for earthling and martian marriages i'm for that <laughs> and anybody who isn't is an idiot and you heard it here first he he's um it was it's just very impressive i mean in civil rights like he was featuring i think it was uh miles davis like one of the first oh, yeah. uh um uh he, when he so he had this show called playboy penthouse and he featured miles davis on the first show and the southern the southern networks because there was still a great deal of racism i mean that still you know there's still racism that happens, obviously, in the United States, but but compared in the fifties, let's just say, in in southern in, in the southern states, they refused to air Playboy Penthouse if they had Miles Davis or had any black entertainers on the show. And Hef's like Hef's like f him. He's like he's like these people are the same. They're great at what they do. I want them on the show. And so he had Miles Davis. Um, when he first started his his first pay Playboy Club, I believe he had Aretha Franklin uh, sing there, and just to have people, blacks and whites, socialize at that time was a big deal. And so this this was stuff I did not know. This is, yeah. to me was incredibly impressive, and and challenged and, and really went against the grain. And you know Jesse Jackson. I don't know if you know the name, yeah. Jesse Jackson, the prominent activist, yeah, um, you know, in the United States, said that Hugh Hefner was ahead of his time in support of racial equality. And he said that very few whites associated with black blacks publicly. And that, like I told you earlier, like he enabled a social interaction that's kind of taken for granted today. And so it's, you know, he had, he ensured that black people were allowed in his clubs. He ensured that there is racial diversity in his business. I think one of the Playboy interviews, um, he had one of his black staff members interview a prominent Nazi activist in the States. Like he just do things like that, right? 
which I Nazi which, activist meaning like somebody who's against Nazis. No, sorry, someone who is uh, someone who's who supports Nazism or whatever. All right, so yeah. a bit of swing and miss on that one, but yeah. But I I I guess his whole thing was um, no, no, he did that on purpose, right? Oh, he had, okay. You know what it, I'm saying? It, like he, he, yes, he purposely yes. had a black man interview this person who. Oh, okay. Who sorry. I didn't understand there was a black man interviewing the Nazi. Now I get it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And so, so that, so this guy is this, this person, this Nazi guy is, is thinking, what the heck? He actually sent a black man to interview me? Like, what is going on? It's, so so it's it's just it's just really interesting like the AIDS crisis that happened he was so fixated on the disease and he ran articles in Playboy that really tried to squash a lot of homophobia and and uh, the disease's origins and and tried to promote safer sex practices I mean honestly like how could you how could you disagree or sort of hate somebody for those kind of things now of course there's something to be said that his empire and his profits, and he did this on the backs of objectifying women. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, there's there's no doubt that Playboy would have not nearly as much of a role into today's society. And the funny thing is that Playboy is actually so Playboy was a publicly traded company for 40 years up until 2011, okay. and they were bleeding money, and then Hugh Hefner made them private again. And right now Playboy is actually trying to become a public company again. So it'd be interesting to see what what Playboy does to be relevant again. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a period of time where um I think it might have been the late two thousands, maybe early twenty tens, where Playboy said that they weren't publishing any more nudes. And so I'm I'm and I guess that had confused people around the brand of what it what Playboy was about. Mm. And and so I wonder what I mean, Playboy is still operating, but I wonder, you know, if they become a publicly traded company again, sort of what the angle is there. I wonder what Playboy is going to do to pivot to kind of become a bit of a relevant business again. I, I mean, I don't know. They must have some form of online presence, and obviously, you would think that's how they're going to do it. But you know, for 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 um, print media to to pivot uh, and sort of stay relevant in today's world isn't the easiest thing to do. And Playboy's model has kind of been set out, you know, since the 50s, it seems like. And so I, I would wonder what they're going to do to sort of try to stay relevant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i sure they have a strong online presence. You can't, you probably can't, cannot have a strong online presence. Yeah. Um, like one of the top viewed websites around the world is Pornhub. <laughs> right? well, like, like they're so like, rich. So Pornhub is so rich that, that they just sponsored... Uh, some professional soccer team in Europe. I'm not surprised. Not surprised. And like those things don't like come so. Cheap. So, I, I mean, I mean, it's it's it, it, like you have to you, you would have to have online presence. I just I guess I wonder like like so Hugh Hefner was very very strong about having the Playboy lifestyle, right? Which was yeah. focused on the bachelor man, good looking women, fast cars, all those kind of things, which I'm sure still appeals to a lot of men. But I think we have talked about masculinity and the evolving definition. And I think we both agree that, that, that some of those elements fit with sort of what the traditional view is. And some of those things could be, are, 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 are harmful to society. And so I wonder sort of how they, will they pivot from sort of like what that playboy lifestyle is? Will they redefine what a playboy lifestyle mm -hmm. is? I, I think, I think, I think they have to come back to some sort of brand because it's incredible. Like just, that's the other thing I learned about was how powerful the Playboy brand was. And, you know, I, I think you and I growing up, like you, you knew about Playboy the magazine, but I certainly did not know how far the brand took their operations. Like they had, you know, the publication, they had the magazine, they, sorry, they had the, sorry, they had the, I'm sorry, they had the publication, they had the magazine, they had the, um, the clubs, they had, like he had his, his private jet, his private jet with the bunny logo. He had a prominent building in, in, uh, in Chicago, a big tower that had playboy like you can see in the skyline. Like, and this is talking about the 50s, 60s. He had 
golf courses. He had a big casino in London that was profitable for so long. <laughs> he was in the movie business. He had a recording business, like a, like a music recording business. He was in everything. He just overextended the brand and then they started uh. to lose money. But the Playboy brand was always kind of known for success and challenging the ideal. And so, so maybe there's still a role for it. I think that um, it's just figuring out how to sort of... Uh, so there was a time in history... Um, uh, you know, sorry to interrupt. Um, but like there was a time in history where you could like go to the gas station, buy a Playboy magazine, go have dinner at a Playboy club and then, or sorry, lunch at like a Playboy club and then go play golf on a Playboy golf course and then go gamble at a Playboy casino. Like theoretically speaking, if like travel wasn't an issue, you could do all those things. Yeah. I had no idea. I always just thought that there was like a magazine yeah. at the back of the gas station rack. No, and well, the Playboy actually didn't start at the back of the the rack. It started on the front. Um, but the reason I, I don't know, if, I don't, I can't say for sure. But what also happened was that it no longer became appealing for it to just be about having topless women because there were now other magazines who were threatening things. So the biggest one was Penthouse, and Penthouse came in and they started showing images of the bottom uh, as well and and Hugh Hefner did not want to do that he didn't he wanted to keep it classy he just didn't want to go there but then Penthouse was eating up in their sales and so he decided to do that and he felt very regretful in doing that but it was like no pun intended it became a race to the bottom <laughs> okay, right? Right. And, and yeah and, and 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 that seems to be actually you know, there's a broader conversation, but it seems like that's sort of everything in society today is like we're just looking for the lowest common denominator. And, you know, people are not happy with anything mm -hmm. anymore. And they just want more and more and more and more. And and I'm sure that is having a huge impact on in the adult industry for sure. So so I think, you know, Hugh Hefner had a, had a little bit of a challenge with that um, because it was no longer but this sort of classy, what he thought was a classy lifestyle. It was becoming now more like raunchy and smutty and, and just he didn't agree with that. But he was also, he was a businessman and he had to sort of appeal to what people wanted. And that was the other thing is that he was, you know, maybe, I don't know about that case, but from decade, from decades on from the 50s, he was, he was, very, very good at understanding the norms in American society and what resonated and what didn't resonate. And so he would very much evolve the magazine and his operations to fit the the times. And in many cases, he was ahead of the times. So like, like these issues that I already talked about, civil rights, LGBTQ issues, the AIDS crisis, whatever. He was always ahead of the time on many of those things and, mm -hmm. and pushing for it. And And so he was very much steering the conversation and so maybe maybe Playboy can somehow play a role in in that, you know, going back to that because I think that was a very very appealing thing, you know. He had um, he had these things called the Playboy interviews, which I already mentioned, and so he had he had Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, interviewed him in Playboy, right? Because he knew that um, Playboy was getting uh, it was it was a huge audience. He there was a lot of uh, black Americans who were supporting the magazine because Hugh Hefner was promoting civil rights issues and so on. He had Malcolm X wow. on there. And Malcolm X, you know, at the time, uh, he was saying some really, he had really strong yeah. language. And people did not, you know, people did not want uh, to be associated with him. And he's like, well, there's truth to this. So let's publish it. Right. And he did. And, and, you know, that, that kind of raised Malcolm X's profile on the civil rights issues as well. And the other one that was actually kind of interesting, which I didn't know about, was Jimmy Carter. So in 1976, when Jimmy Carter ran for president, the Democrats um, were, so I should backtrack here, in the late 60s, Lyndon Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act. And he said, when I pass the Civil Rights Act, we're going to lose the South. Right? Like the South will never be part of the Democratic Party. So 1976 comes and the Democratic Party nominates Jimmy Carter, who's uh, who's this very pious religious man from Georgia, you know, very sort of born again. And he actually kind of really popularized that term born again Christian. And so there is now momentum for him to re regain the South and make sure it stays with the Democrats at the time. But because he had a lot of these very strong religious views, 
he was kind of losing touch with some parts of the American society because mm -hmm. you're talking about the 70s, right? And people are increasingly becoming, have already incre become increasingly progressive. And so the campaign thought in order for him to not look like he's out of touch, let's do a Playboy interview. So he did a Playboy interview and he said, there's this famous line. He says, I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. And so that was, you know, for some people, it was like, wow, okay, he's being very vulnerable. He's being open. I like this. You know, he's he's challenging things here. He's being very honest. Many men have experienced that. So he's relating all this stuff. But a lot of people in the South had a lot of difficulty wow. with that because there was a lot of support for him. And then, and so he almost lost that election to, to Gerald Ford. At least the, the gap got closer. And uh, he almost <laughs> lost the South. So, so Playboy, Playboy was this magazine that everyone wanted to be a part of. Like people wanted to be interviewed. People wanted to uh, be seen with Hugh Hefner. People wanted to be at these parties. You know, men, women, all creeds wanted to be there. And so it's just it's it seems like it was a fascinating time to be in that Playboy world in the fifties, sixties, and seventies for sure. Yeah, no doubt. To be like one of these prominent publications that that gets these um, high profile, really, really important interviews of the time. You know, like how many magazines? Well, so for Jimmy Carter, how many magazines would have just been clamoring for an interview with him? Um, and how many magazines would have actually given airtime to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, especially with guys like Malcolm X? You know, any means necessary, maybe saying some. Uh, things that could be seen as condoning violent action. Sure. Um, but to give them airspace, I don't know. That's, I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, very interesting. Yeah. So, and, and I, like, I think again, it just goes back to, he ran against the grain, always wanted to challenge things, believed so firmly uh, in, in free speech and, and his views and trying to and 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 not letting anybody tell him that he shouldn't publish these things. And if people didn't like it, then then too bad. And mm -hmm. you know, his subscription at the highest point, I think, was rivaling at that time the Life and Times magazine, I guess, which was a very strong publication, what would have been probably the number one publication. And so Playboy Playboy did um some some incredibly, incredibly big things. Wow. But yeah, I mean, going back to see now, now what I started to think about was okay. So he, the the empire, the Playboy empire, the brand, all his all the profits, you know, largely was based on objectifying women. It was the fifties, different time, sixties, and you and I have talked about this, like you know that we the fact that society often demonizes people from the past on their views. You know, even if it was like they're they they didn't have bad intentions, but they were, um, but they were living in accordance with what the societal norms were. They're being demonized today. Yeah. Like, it, I think you and I both feel like that's just not the right approach. You know. So what I what I really wanted to get to now is, if Hugh Hefner had, let's say, published not only. A magazine that had nude women in it, but also had nude men. Would in the fifties, would that have changed anything? And that's a question to you. I was trying to think about that because I was because I was like, okay, so if he objectified men and women at the same time, could I think he could still talk about the Playboy lifestyle? It would be, you know, different, but it would also be inviting women into the conversation, perhaps. Anyways, just wanted your thoughts. I wonder if that would have changed anything. I guess I think that objectification is objectification regardless of whether it's a man or a woman. Right? I mean, if you if you have a if you're using somebody's body because people like to look at them or they like to be seen as objects or something, whether it's a man or a woman, that shouldn't make too much of a difference, should it? Well, the well, there, there's in the docu series they were talking about how Penthouse, as they were challenging things, they started to include men in the magazine, and then eventually they had essentially it was just it became porn, right? Like they started to have men and women in the same pictures, and both were naked, and and but I, I'm just thinking about like okay, if they now had 
articles that were geared towards almost like liberating women even more so by having them adopt there was a certain lifestyle that they could like he could almost make it sort of equivalent to what he was trying to say the playboy lifestyle was for men if he had that for women you know would and i don't know this is a really complicated topic and i feel like we're gonna get we're gonna i'm gonna get slammed for this but but just thinking about like you know the feminist movement in the 70s like gloria steiner she was a prominent feminist feminist activist and she was she did an undercover piece um she was a like became a playboy bunny in one of his clubs and she and she did a whole expose thing on playboy and said how they mistreated women or whatever but would would some of those would would the feminist view movement view it differently if they saw okay well could they say then okay you're you're solely just exploiting women to make a buck because you maybe couldn't say that anymore right now again again objectifying is objectifying sure but it's it's you now you know put it on both extremes and and you're now saying that hey if one of his objectives was to sort of um be revolutionary and to now talk about sex more openly and 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 to make it less taboo and and all these objectives, he would be still able to do that. I wonder how much of that is is just based on sort of what the like what the market demand. Like they had to be influenced a little bit by what people were buying. And I wonder. I feel like in my mind that you know back then, and this is just a guess. I have no idea, but you know, having a pinup girl or a girl in a bikini or something wasn't that wasn't that absurd, or at least to see that in a magazine wasn't as absurd. Where maybe seeing the sort of male counterpart of that wasn't quite as common. But I don't know. Yeah, I I mean those are valid points. I I'm not sure. I just was something thinking about like how again when in movies they were depicting couples in separate beds to now have them in the same picture again even if it was just a hug both of them semi nude or full nude or whatever it might have been I think would have been uh would have been groundbreaking for sure. Um there's no question about that and as far as how it would have evolved the conversation no one knows, but I think I, I think it, I feel like it would have been different somehow. I don't know how. I don't know what that exactly looked like, but I think it it um, maybe it delays maybe it delays the argument a little bit. Like maybe maybe it delays like um, the backlash that Playboy received from from the feminist movement and um, from people in the seventies. Maybe it delays it a little bit longer, where people are just like, oh, okay, well, objectification in general looking or valuing people solely on on the, what they look like is is just bad and you shouldn't do it maybe that would have been delayed even even further i don't know i don't know i mean if so if gloria steiner stein gloria went, went undercover at these playboy clubs and with playboy bunnies even if there were men in the picture i mean would they have treated the women any any less poorly, I guess, or maybe they just would have treated both men and women poorly as opposed to just women or whatever her findings were. I wonder how much, you know, her discoveries would have changed if there were men in the picture or, or not. Yeah, you could be right. Anyways, it's never happened, but it was just a thought that I had. So anyways, so I, I think overall, again, the, there's a lot of things that are controversial and, and people have a right to view, you have her negatively in, in, in some of the things that he did, but I was surprisingly, um, I want to say impressed with, with the way he challenged a lot of cultural norms and societal norms and fought for some incredibly important issues and featured those things and featured very important people in his magazine when nobody else was doing that. And he, he definitely was revolutionary and so I, I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to talk about him because I, th- I found him surprisingly interested. Interesting. Sorry. I just have a question about um, Miles Davis and when he was in the magazine. So he, so with Hef, um, when he found Marilyn Monroe, she was sort of on the up and up, like she hadn't been discovered yet, or maybe she was known, but she certainly didn't have global fame. And then he, he goes on later to have Miles Davis um in his magazine as well and did he find miles sort of in the same spot so he hadn't have been hadn't have been like a famous guy yet and 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 like was a 
struggling musician or did he really just kind of give him a, a bit of a platform that was a little unusual maybe for uh for a black musician at the time well he he, he may have he may have he may have uh been struggling in some regard but certainly he wasn't necessarily socially socializing with white people right especially in a public forum and that was the biggest thing he did was that in that first i'm pretty sure it was that first episode of of um his TV show of Playboy Penthouse, he he had Miles Davis perform, and and so to, for 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 America to see a black man socializing with with white people and you know white elites or or beautiful white people, you know that was a big deal, and and you know and and then Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, like it, the fact that. It was just it was it was a major Playboy had already been almost like a big publication at that point. So to get more airtime and to be able to to further the cause, he was able to you know they were they were going to do it. The Malcolm X one seemed to be more controversial than the the MLK one, but but nevertheless, like just just his you know maybe they sensationalize it a little bit in the docu series, but just his like no, let's do it. This is this makes sense. This aligns with the Playboy brand. What's wrong with this? Am I am I is it going to destroy our company? I don't care. It just makes sense to me. This we we should not be discriminating. We should be um, promoting these voices and and sort of let's be renegades of the time. Did he like to party? Like, was he a big drinker uh, and would participate in drugs? And I imagine he had a handful of girlfriends at any given time. Yeah, I mean, he definitely lift lift that Playboy. So, so I, I'm going to answer that question. But the interesting thing is that he wasn't really he didn't feel like he was Mister Playboy. Like, so he 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 liked he liked writing about that kind of stuff. He believed that there was a, a need to publish a magazine that focused on a, a lifestyle like that. But it was there was somebody who worked in his company. His name was Victor Downs who was more of like that playboy, right? And so then when, I think it was when he had to do the TV show, Playboy Penthouse, they wanted him to host it. And so then he started to adopt the playboy lifestyle. And then he was married. He had a kid, right? When he first started Playboy, he was married. Yeah, he was married. He had a kid. He just wasn't around. He wasn't a good, like he even admits he wasn't a good dad, right? So again, not somebody you want to embody in that regard. So it seems like he'd sort of like the culture of being a playboy more, or even the idea of being a playboy more, or the things that went along with being a playboy as opposed to being an actual playboy. And so the, you know, sort of the vision that I have of Hugh with these silk pajamas and whatever pipe in his mouth and lots of parties and all this stuff is something that he modeled after somebody else. Yeah, and so so we had this so Victor Downs was really the guy who embodied this this lifestyle. And so when he adopted it, then, you know, then he started to fool around with other women and then eventually, you know, him and his first wife divorced each other and then it was you know, different girlfriends and whenever he had a, a sort of a a girlfriend that he loved, he always made he made he made it very clear that he's going to be not in a not in a fully committed relationship. Like what's that term? Yeah, open relationship. Yeah, open relationship. Thank you. And they and they kind of understood that. Now some girlfriends had problems with that, and and some didn't. But yeah, he was he had women around him all the time. So yeah, and <laughs> I mean he. <laughs> He apparently he's like, uh, so when Viagra came out, right? He he wanted he ha- he was always using that stuff. And there's a line that he has. He's like, I'd rather I'd rather go deaf than not have sex. So he was around women all the time, uh, and he was popping these pills. So yes, and to answer your question, he was with multiple women. Okay, so so lots of women, and it sounds like sort of your standard party fare, like alcohol and stuff like that. What about drugs like psychedelics or other drugs? Did he ever kind of mess around with that other than Viagra? Yeah, Sirius never doesn't touch on that at all. He seems like he's pretty... Oh, no, you know what? There is one part. He was... Because he was working like crazy. So that's the other reason why he was kind of failed as a dad is he wasn't around. He was totally focused on this publication. He was working crazy amount of hours. And so he, his his doctor prescribed him this, this 
pharmaceutical that would just keep him up and be alert. And so he was popping these things like crazy. And he would have his team, he would have team meetings starting at like four o'clock in the afternoon and they would last until two o'clock in the morning. This was on a, like a daily basis. And his staff was like super committed because they, lo- they loved working there. But at some point they would just obviously wore everybody down. And so at least in the docuseries, like his, his main business guy, um, one of his senior executives was just like, I've let the staff go. And so then he's had, he started to realize that, okay, this is a problem. And it took him, he said like a year for like everything kind of flush out of his system and for his body to kind of go back to normal. And, and, and yeah, so, so yes, that was the only sort of, uh, at least the drug that they featured in, 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 in the docuseries, but it was, it was an addiction because he felt like he had to, he had to work hard. And that was the other thing that sort of, you know, I, I, you and I have talked about this maybe offline more. It's just like the level of commitment that some of these people have to like their passion and their causes. And he even said, he's like, had I not taken that drug, Playboy Empire wouldn't have been what it was. I'm like, man, it's got to be a better way. Like, and there is, obviously we know today in leadership, like what that looks like um, to be able to advance your business and your cause and whatever. There are absolutely much better practices to do that. But yeah, it's just it's, it was uh, interesting to kind of just frame it frame it like that. Like interesting guy, and certainly more than meets the eye. Yeah, so so that's really what I wanted to why I wanted to raise him. I thought he was a guy who went against the grain. Found him again surprisingly interesting. Uh, glad that you found some new things that like that I did, and uh, hopefully we can do more of these these features on people who may may have been sort of harsh could be harshly judged in society, but like maybe there are these also really positive things that they would have they would have done as well so hopefully we can have more of those conversations but thanks for even entertaining that to talk about him because uh, some people may have not wanted to and always appreciate uh talking to you appreciate the conversation buddy as always and uh looking forward to many more of these all right appreciate you appreciate you pal see you later